afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. A variety of things that we're going to talk about today. This is where I want to hear the theme for the, from the good, the bad, and the ugly because I think it's going to describe the frustrations that we're seeing within the ag industry right now. Obviously, we've seen some big drops in our livestock prices once again. Flip side, the grains just continue to move higher into the green. We're going to find out all what's been taking factor in this trade today with Mike Zuzalo. He's with Global Commodity Analytics and a busy day in the markets from a grain perspective, a struggle day going on in the livestock. So we're going to start there, Mike, and kind of give me your thoughts about this struggle, how it is so real right now for our cattle producers. Well, there's still a major disconnect here setting up, and and we're kind of in the middle of it, Susan. And I, I think, you know, the last time we spoke, I talked about the idea that it is not odd for the grain markets to actually pull the livestock markets higher uh, in terms of price trends. We saw that in the 2006-2007 time period, looking at lead month fat cattle against lead month corn. We saw it in 2010 through 2012 until the middle of the year, roughly, in 2012. And this goes back to the, the higher-priced grains, the limited supplies of the uh, smaller China hog herd, so we can say the global hog herd being smaller, and now we're starting to hear certain areas and certain cuts of showing a shortage uh, in some of the news here the last couple weeks. I think it makes sense fundamentally that if the grains continue to go higher, the livestock prices would as well. And this kind of dovetails into something else you and I have talked about before, and that is the post-pandemic summer driving season, summer grilling season. As an analyst, a lot of people out there, and I have to keep an eye on this, a lot of people out there are talking about another commodity super cycle. They're saying that it's not just China that has extra demand this time around. It's going to be a bunch of other countries, and there's limited supplies out there. Copper just went above $10,000 an ounce for the first time since 2011. So me in the livestock grain industry and working with cattle ranchers especially, I say to myself, okay, if summer travel is gearing up and the stock market's going straight up, essentially, we've got an idea of another commodity super cycle coming because of demand, and that's because of the coming out of the post-pandemic spending wave that we're going to see. If we have strong summer grilling and summer travel season, why wouldn't meat consumption also meet that type of uh, expectation? And therefore, why wouldn't the cattle build a premium? But instead of what we've seen at this stage of the game, early in the summer, very early in the summer, we've seen cash cattle take on a 119 bid offer roughly. So it's $6 discount now to the June fats. We've seen the Oklahoma City feeder cattle auction hit stay around right around 135 136 may futures closing at 129 today that's six dollars discount in the futures as well so i still think the grains and livestock have to team up here if the grains want to keep going higher i still think this is funds versus fundamentals and it's spreads versus fundamentals when it comes to the feeder corn ratio especially i think lastly i'd say this you've got a cash premium over futures you're going into the big slaughter numbers at this point for third quarter, uh, second and third quarter for beef in terms of USDA's production estimates, and you've got uh, this, this real big discount in the future. So I'm not a hedger here. I, I could buy puts for a floor if I really needed to, but I'd rather just stay current on marketings. Are we, Mike, just maybe banking a little bit too much on the fact that we've got Mother's Day coming up this weekend and the summer officially for many hits with graduations and beyond that we think that that meat movement is going to be so big? that it's going to help to pull us out? 
Yeah, I think you bring up a massive point. I think it's either that or a combination of that and the idea by the trade that the consumer is just going to buy it no matter what price you charge him. And this is where the discount and the disconnect between the producer price versus what the wholesaler is getting and what that wholesaler is passing on to increase retail prices that's the big question mark in my mind, and that's why I'm in, on more on the side of I don't believe we're in a big commodity super cycle wave here. I think it's been supply and weather for the most part that's driven us to this level, and that I don't think the demand has felt the shock yet of these higher prices because we haven't gotten out and traveled. I just heard today airplane tickets were going to be going up, even though there's no international flights yet. Uh, National Restaurant Association just put out some fresh numbers, and they said although a majority of restaurant operators reported higher sales and customer traffic compared to March of 2020, both measures remain well below pre-pandemic levels on an industry-wide basis. That's in quotation. So I'm just not there yet that this demand is not going to be shocked away by these higher prices. Then having said that, why isn't there a seem to be a, a marriage of some sort working together to make this all come to more, be more profitable? Well, I think the big reason is because of the spread. The feeder corn ratio dropped below around, I guess, I think it got around nine and a half today. And that's taking corn, taking it from uh, bushels to uh, pounds so that you match up with the feeders on the ratio. But you are literally just a hair away on a weekly closing basis uh, from the 2012 low. And I think that is the goal of the funds at this point is they trade a lot of charts and momentum, Susan, and that's their goal right now. So I, I think it's rather short term and it's, like I said, It's non-fundamental except for the bigger slaughter numbers that we're going to be seeing here in the next six or eight weeks. Before we jump to break, real quick, your thoughts on the hogs. I mean, some positivity is going on for their complex. Yeah, and this is where it goes back to my mindset's pretty simple at this point. If the hogs can hold up here and the Chinese keep buying pork on the weekly export sales, then cattle should go towards the hogs, not the hogs towards the cattle, and that the hogs should be a supportive feature instead of a spreading-off type feature in the cattle market as we get into summer. Lots of things to look around. Stick around, folks. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Mike Suzalo. We know that China's had a lot of issues. Continue with African swine fever. How's that going to trickle over into what we've seen in the grain complex? Not only that, grains, another good day. Remember, we're into, what, day two now of those new expanded limits. So we haven't hit them yet, knock on wood, will we? And what's going to happen as spring planting does continue? Lots of things to look at from the grain side of it. Stick around. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I am Susan Littlefield as we continue this conversation with Mike Zuzlo. He's with Global Commodity Analytics. And we talked about the frustrations that have been happening, obviously, on the livestock side of it. Let's do a little switch of the gears. A lot of green on the screen and a nice turnaround Tuesday, shall we say, Mike? Yeah, big distinction here, and I'm glad you kind of segued that way, Susan, because it really matches up with the livestock in terms of a contrast. You notice what happened on this turnaround Tuesday is that the cash bids really came on hard, and I heard that from several clients on both sides of the corn and bean belt. In other words, the spot cash basis for corn and beans really picked it up now that we're in July futures, and now we've got a cash bid that is up there with the May contract, and I think this is where the funds and the fundamentals come together. This makes sense when you're an analyst. And it says pretty clearly, after getting past the crop conditions and progress on planning, 
those reports and those numbers yesterday, the market essentially said there is absolutely no room for error in getting new crop planted because we've still got a lot of weather in the corn market when it comes to Brazil. And I think this is a really important distinction to make at this point in time between corn and beans. Go into it deeper if you want to. But I noticed today that the July D's corn spread went back up to around a dollar twenty premium to the July. That was a new contract high. Meanwhile, the July no bean spread went down to one seventy four. That's about fifty cents off the January high. So we're seeing the beans looking like they're being rationed more effectively. And I think that's probably because of the fact that we've got more weather issues in South America and more corn planting issues here. Again, it's supply-related on both of them, but be that as it may, the trade sees the 9% U.S. stocks-to-use ratios in the corn and says we're still too tight to let any more corn go out the export door. One other thing real quickly is I think the soybean oil is really continuing to help, as is the ethanol, the bean complex, and the corn complex. So watch those energy-related commodities here in the next couple of weeks because I think those will be really key indicators as to that volatility issue issue you talked about and that limit up, limit down issue you talked about before we went to break. So should we not be surprised that Mato Grosso this morning changed their forecast of corn production right now and, and took a little bit of a drop in those million metric tons? No, we shouldn't because uh, the South American colleague I work with and talk to once a week uh, has, has been hammering on the essentially on the table saying those numbers just are too high those official numbers are too high with conap and and so not only do you have mato grosso which is supposed to be the star of the show in terms of uh offsetting the very poor crop in uh, mato grosso do sul and paraná if mato grosso which is essentially 45 percent of the safrina corn crop has any issues then this is why that chart right now on the daily new crop futures which is trying to maybe look like a double top It'll probably take those old highs out so that the the technical traders, the fund traders, the ones that are hammering and selling the feeders so aggressively won't dare want to try and sell the corn as aggressively. So as you look at this market, and obviously it continues to do its push, how much pressure, and we've kind of talked about this over the last uh, couple of weeks with other commodity folks as well, how much of a push and pressure do you see this putting on U.S. farmers to be able to grow a good, strong crop knowing we might see a deficit globally come our harvest time. Yeah, this is an enormous issue because the northern hemisphere as a whole is looking rougher than it has the last five or six years. Canada, China, Europe, all of these areas, the United States northern plains, another very big feature to this market right now and will continue to be. These are areas that no one really has started off really in an excellent position this year, and we still have these razor-thin supplies. And I think this is where, for me, we, I make more of a distinction between the corn versus the soybeans in terms of my hedging strategy. I get more aggressive on the soybeans again once I get up towards those old highs in the new crop soybeans, but I do it in a respectful manner, knowing that in history and typically what happens when the corn rallies, the beans want to rally with it. So I don't want to be uh, unassuming that the beans can't rally if the corn has a weather market like it did in 2012. I think this is the key time period you want to start addressing that. In other words, re-ownership policies or re-ownership strategies that you put on from here on out, I probably would not want to sell too many calls at this stage until I got closer to June, July, and then look at maybe strapping on the short calls against the ball calls. So as we wrap up, your thoughts on the wheat market? 
the wheat is the key in terms of whether the corn really wants to go to $8 and sustain that level. I've heard people talking about, clients calling in, talking about wheat going to $9. I think this is going to be extremely hard to do if we have a good crop. And it looks as though, based upon the conditions, we're not going to have much more than an average crop. So I'm lukewarm on the wheat. It's probably going to be my first hedge once I reach price targets and then beans right behind that, Susan. But I, I'm really kind of lukewarm on the wheat right now. All right, sounds good. Best way for folks to get a hold of you, Mike? Best way is to go to globalcomresearch.com. That's globalcom with two Ms, research.com. Sign up for a trial, and uh, we'll set you up for two weeks, and then we'll call you once to see if you like what you hear. All right, just a reminder, folks, commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss are not suitable for all investors. That's the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.